Morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. I want to welcome all of you guys in here physically today and those also online watching from the comfort of your home. Thank you for being with us. We're in a series in the book of Acts. So if you've not been with us, we have been journeying now for 19 weeks going through the book of Acts together. And it's been fun and incredible um, as a community of believers to journey through this book together, unpacking it. So if you have your Bible today, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Well, um, I had the opportunity to go to Yosemite National Park and also go to Sequoia National Forest, and I got to see the huge sequoia trees. And uh, as I went there, that wasn't the most important thing. My most memorable moment was when I was walking back from a hike, and there's a guy probably here to the back of that church, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 yards away. And I'm walking back after having this amazing experience in these really huge trees, which I'll show you in a second, Okay. And it was, it was awesome. And I walked back, and there's this guy standing that far back, and he's going, huh, huh, come on, come on, come on. And he's like looking at me. I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to throw down here in Sequoia National Forest with some guy, and he was Europeans, he was speaking a different language, and he was like saying stuff. I was like, all right, bro, I guess, all right, I guess, I guess I'm going to go to jail here in Sequoia. They're going to carry me. I won't, I won't get to see Yosemite. This is it. I mean, and he, like, he would, like, pretend to run forward, he'd back off, and he'd do like that. And I was like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, as I'm walking forward, I'm like thinking, okay, what am I going to do? He looks pretty aggressive. What move am I going to take? This guy's coming at me. And I look back, and his son was over there with a little shield and a sword playing with him the whole time. And he was playing with his son. I was like, whew, okay, good. That makes a lot of sense. And I thought, this is wild to be in a national park. But... But going there was pretty amazing, and not only for that memory, but also, too, how huge these trees were. And if you will, check this picture out on the screen here, and they should have that available for you. Look how big those trees, and I know I'm little, but look how big those trees are. They're absolutely huge. They were monstrous. And people travel from all over the world, of course, as I found out, to see these trees. And these trees are three to 5,000 years old. And people travel to see him. And what I want to do today is share with you as we look at the, the book of Acts is how there's a very important principle that I want to show you from these trees that applies to our faith that many of us miss, especially in the culture we live in, in an on-demand culture. Everything's right at our fingertips. We miss this. And the Apostle Paul was the epitome of this. Now, where he's at in the book of Acts, if you've not been tracking with us, this is where he's at, is that the Apostle Paul was the most influential person in Christianity besides Jesus. The reason is, is that he was a Jew who got converted to Christianity. He was one of the top Jewish leaders who got converted to Christianity. He killed Christians. He persecuted Christians. And then Jesus redeemed him. And then Jesus gives him the call as this Jew to go to non-Jews, which was really extraordinary because Jews did not talk to non-Jews. They didn't hang out with non-Jews. And the argument of the New Testament is, what do non-Jews need to be, do to be saved? Like, what type of, do they need to become Jewish? So Paul is fighting his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's trying to minister to these non-Jews called Gentiles, you and I. And ultimately, when he gave his life to Christ, on the road to Damascus, when Jesus shows up and blinds him, knocks him off his donkey, Acts 9.15, God tells him, you're going to go and minister to kings and Gentiles in my name. And Paul knew that, yes, he would go plant many churches all across Asia Minor. We are here today. I want you to know this because of the Apostle Paul. We're all non-Jews. We're Gentiles because God gave him that ministry. 
And Paul knew that the ultimate ministry God was calling him to was to go to Rome. The Roman Empire ruled the world in the first century. And Paul knew that if he could get these government leaders, and if they were to believe in Christ, it would make the movement powerful. And so he knows that going to Rome is going to cost him his life. He knows that it's all over for him. And now he's on his descent, and this is probably his greatest meeting that we know of in Rome. He now meets with Agrippa. I want you to look at this here in Acts 26, 28. It says, Agrippa interrupted him because Paul was preaching a very long gospel message. He got to stand in front of Agrippa. And instead of him asking, to, he didn't tell Agrippa, hey, look, listen, I'm a Roman citizen and I'm a Jew too. You should let me go. He didn't plead to be let go uh, from prison. He didn't plead to be let out. What he does here is he shares the gospel with King Agrippa. Saying that you must believe in Jesus. You must believe that he died and he rose again on the third day in order to be saved. And he's standing for Agrippa and he wants to convert him. And then look what happens. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, do not miss that. I pray to God that both you and everyone in this audience might become the same as I except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Now Paul is standing in front of the person whose great-grandfather ordered the hit on all the babies. Remember Jesus? Remember they want to kill all the young, the young boys, two years or younger? Here, want to do that? That, that, was, uh, that was Agrippa's great-grandfather. He's standing in front of the man whose grandfather beheaded John the Baptist and also whose father killed the first apostle, James, and martyred him. And Paul stands in front of him, this hostile environment, and he has one opportunity. He could either be in chains the rest of his life, and he could have been set free if he didn't appeal, but he wanted the gospel to go to Caesar. And what I want you to realize is this. As far as we know, Caesar, nor Agrippa, nor any of them gave their life to Christ. He went and he shared the gospel, and it fell on deaf ears. Now, if Hollywood would have written the script, Hollywood would have said, yeah, like, I mean, listen, I love Christian movies. Don't get me wrong. It's all good. I'm really happy, but I think they do us a disservice. They teach us that it's happily ever after. That's also the biggest lie of marriage. biggest lie that we've ever been, ever been sold in Christianity. Follow Jesus, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be great. And that's not what happened. Paul ends up being beheaded. Never seeing these government officials come to faith in Christ. Never seeing the gospel take root like he thought it would. If Hollywood would have written a script, he would have given all the Jesus. They all have surrendered. It would have just been great. And one of them crying. And we say, yeah, you see this movie. The Apostle Paul appeals. And they all just, ah. Ain't how life works, y'all. I, I told you this last week. I'll say it before. Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to make you better at life. Amen. Be a better friend, better husband, better father, better daughter, son, wherever you're, co-worker. The Apostle Paul here shows us something very important. Because in the third century, here's what happens. Constantine ends up making Christianity the national religion for all of Rome. He does. Now, I want you to realize this. This is good and bad for Christianity because you can't politicize Christianity. I mean, let, me, let me explain before some of you guys who watch a lot of, a lot of news media get mad. 
That's your idol, news media. You can't nationalize Christianity. That's the difference. That's why other world religions, Islam and Hinduism, all that, you can nationalize them. Ju Judaism, because they're, ba they're based on laws. Christianity is based on personal transformation. Now, can you have a nation who has Judeo and Christian ethics? Yes. Right? Yes. You can't nationalize it and legislate Christianity because it's personal transformation. You can't borrow your faith from your mama or your daddy or your grandma. You've got to be transformed by the gospel yourself. Right? And so the third century, Christianity gets, gets, gets nationalized, and it's not very good because then we go into the Dark Ages, and it's the rise of Catholicism and all that. But Christianity was favorable then at that point. They, there was no more killing Christians. Actually, it was kind of pretty, pretty cool to be a Christian back then. Hey, you actually had status. So that did happen eventually, and Christianity did have some favor, but the Apostle Paul never saw it. And what I want you to understand here is we look at the book of Acts, we often see like 3,000 saved in one day. And we see these snapshots of a 30-year history, and we think that's what Christianity is supposed to look like. Every day I'm leading people to Jesus. Every day miracles are happening. Every day it's just amazing. And can I tell you, that is not what following Jesus is like, especially when it comes to sharing your faith. That's what Paul was doing here. Sharing your faith is not some miraculous day-by-day -day event where amazing things happen all the time. And I think so many of us don't share our faith because we're like, well, man, nothing happened. I shared the gospel, they, they rejected it, or they didn't listen. My friends don't care, and we back off from doing the very thing that God has called us to do. How can they hear except hearing by faith, right? That they've got to hear, they've got to hear the message of Jesus. And what I want you to understand, what we can see from the Apostle Paul here, is this. And I want you to write this down here. And this is the key to today's message. The process of the gospel taking root takes patience. The process of the gospel taking root in someone's heart, it takes patience. Which we're not taught that in our society, are we? We want to lead people to Jesus. And we think evangelism is leading people to Jesus. That's not evangelism. That's a part of evangelism. Evangelism is sharing our faith with someone about Jesus Christ, no matter where they're at in life and no matter what their response is. And you have to understand that, that if you have been sharing your faith, or you have someone in your life that you're trying to get them even curious about faith or opening up to the idea of Jesus, if you're just even doing that at all, you're an evangelist. You're evangelizing. Stop thinking because I didn't lead somebody to Jesus that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I don't see anything happen because what the enemy wants you to do is back off from saying anything at all and give up. Because he does not want the most powerful message in the world to be shared. And you have to understand this. Just like the sequoia trees, thousands of years for something beautiful to happen. And someone coming to true faith in Jesus Christ is not an overnight process. It is not just a one and done True faith in Christ takes process, and we've got to have patience. Now, here are two myths that will keep you from sharing your faith. And here's the first one here. The first myth about our sharing our faith is this. Making a, a decision for Jesus should be easy for people. That's, that's on us. We believe wrongly that making a decision to follow Jesus should be easy for people. Well, this is easy. It's a no-brainer. Well, they should just accept Jesus. Why not? Um, 
what we've done, and, and listen, how we explain it to kids is one thing. And my son, right? So he's eight. And how Bonnie and our team explains it to them over there about Christ and salvation is like accept Jesus in your heart. Trying to, they're trying to help them understand. As, as you get older, can I tell you, coming to faith in Jesus is not accepting Jesus in your heart and living your life believing in Jesus. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ requires repentance. Now, I know that's not a happy word in today's society. And, oh, you, you cannot say, I'm going to follow Jesus and keep my same life. I'm going to follow Jesus and hold on to Jesus and believe in Jesus, but also believe everything I ever believed before, too, and mix it all together in one. And that's, that's being a Christian. That is not. The gospel is this. It is repentance. Repent is I turn from the life that I used to live because Jesus has now invited me to a brand new life. And either you're going to walk toward the life Jesus has given you through salvation and forgiveness in this relationship with your Heavenly Father, or you're going to hold on to the other life. And so when somebody has to make a decision for Jesus, it is they have to lose everything. That's the gospel. Well, that's not popular, man. I don't know if anybody will sign up for that. That's, that's, not, that's not for you to decide. Jesus says that you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And so we look at people who don't know Christ and say, we're following, because following Jesus is awesome, right? Let's we'll agree. Is it not the best decision you ever make, right? Like, my life has been changed. I mean, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and joy and peace. and I love it. But here's the thing. I had to leave everything to follow Jesus. All my friends, all my life, all my pleasures, everything. And we think that, yeah, this is no, they should, that's a big decision for someone. It's going to require them losing friends giving up addictions it's going to require them to walk away from things to change frameworks of how they view even society through a biblical lens there's so much there so guys don't think that like well, this is an easy decision why aren't they making it this is a huge decision because they will require them giving everything up for the one who gave his life for them right here's the second myth that will keep you from this here too because it's not an easy decision it's a big decision so it's going to take time I mean, I know, I know for me, I knew that when I gave my life to Jesus, that was it. It was over. All this life I had before was over. It took, me a, it took me a while to come to that. But the second myth is this. Helping someone make that defining decision is superior. You see someone leading someone to Jesus. They say, man, I led Johnny to Jesus. You're like, man, you're awesome. You're so much better than me because I've never done that. And here's what you have to understand. If you look at scripture here, and I want you to look at, at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, this is huge. Verse 6. The defining decision is not superior. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And the reason he had to say that was this. Apollos was a young believer who got really popular really quick in the early church. And the church at Corinth were like breaking into divisions. I follow Apollos, you follow Peter, I follow Paul. And so he said, listen, listen, Paul and Apollos don't matter. God's the one who actually makes the seed. He's the one who does the work, right? He says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Understand that if you plant a seed and somebody waters and then somebody's able to lead that person to Christ, they are no better than you. And stop having levels of Christianity where you have middle school, junior varsity, and varsity. 
if you are simply meeting people where they're at and sharing your faith and opening the door up to even thinking about Christianity, you're, you're on the same level as somebody who leads somebody to Jesus. I've talked to people who are discouraged because somebody did not accept Christ when they offered the opportunity. And I want to encourage you today, making that defining decision, that person who does that is not superior. I mean, can I tell you, people come here all the time and they give their life to Jesus and, and we see the connection cards, we get to baptize people, and I kind of get the, the opportunity to do that. But don't be fooled, guys. I had the least part in all of this. There was a grandmama who was praying. There was a mama or a daddy or somebody who was, who was reading the scriptures around them. There was a friend that was in for years, and they come in, they give their life to Christ. I, I, I don't look at myself and say, man, I'm doing a great job. There were people who put a lot of hard work into it. And, you know, for my life, I had a friend named Eric who gave his life to Jesus, and he really introduced me to the beauty of Christ. I'd seen religion. I hated religion, hated Southern Christian religion, just didn't want it. But he showed me the beauty of Christ, of transformation, of passionately loving Jesus. And, that, and that's what your family wants to see. You wonder why, why, why they don't come to church? They don't see you loving Jesus and passionately in love with him. That's what gripped my said. I said, that guy's in love with Jesus. This is crazy. What happened to him? And Eric shared, and Eric poured into me, and, Eric, and then one night, I go, I, I go to youth ministry on a Monday night, and my friend Jonathan Hill gives a gospel invitation, and I come to the front, and I get saved. Now, Jonathan's always the one who kind of, you know, he's the guy who led me to Christ, right? And to be honest, like, that's kind of, the, I mean, we run in the same circles, and people know about that, but Jonathan did the least amount of work. Eric did all the legwork for Jonathan. I mean, all of it. And Jonathan kind of came in and swooped in and got the win, right? It's like, it's like you're doing a sales, you're working sales, and you're doing all the work, and somebody comes and gets the sales, like, hey. But what Eric did is not inferior to what Jonathan did. And I want you to understand that some of you guys in here are Eric's in people's lives. You are simply walking with people. You are being Jesus to them. You're sharing the gospel with them. And understand that what you're doing is not inferior. Because here's my fear, guys, and here's what happens when it comes to sharing your faith. If we don't understand the arduous process, we will undermine our progress. And if you don't understand, like Sequoia takes thousands of years to get to a certain point. If you don't understand the arduous process of the, of the faith, of faith coming to somebody's, somebody's life, if you don't understand that, you're going to give up. Because you're going to quit. And I'm telling you, some of you have invested a lot in the, in the people. And you've worked really hard. Do not give up on that person. It's a process that they're on. You have a process that you're walking with them. Matter of fact, I've shared this before. I want to share this with you. When you look at somebody who's unchurched, who does not know Jesus, who doesn't follow Jesus, or maybe they do, like, so unchurched, if you can imagine a spectrum from five to one, right? Five is as far as you can be from Jesus. It's called a U5, unchurched or unregenerate. Like, unregenerate means you, you don't know the Lord. You have a U5 who's an atheist who hates Christianity and wants the downfall of Christianity. It's all the guys who play in the band Bad Religion, right? They're all U5s, <laughs> right? They hate Jesus. All their songs are Tool, right? Band Tool. They hate Jesus, hate them, right? I used to listen to all of that. Hate them. And I used to play in those circles in the bands when I was a Christian. I'd hang out. Then you have U4 who's kind of like, well, I'm agnostic. I mean, I think, you know, the idea of Jesus being the only way is really hypocritical, and I don't like your beliefs, and, but, you know, I, I believe there's something out there. There, there, there are four, right? They're, they're a little closer. They're agnostic. Something's out there. Atheists, nothing's out there. And then you get to a U3 where maybe they had actually 
went to church at some point in time. They have a, maybe a Christian background growing up, but they still don't know what they believe. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe, I mean, I believe, I believe in Jesus, but maybe, I mean, why is he the only way? Because you've got Muhammad and you've got Buddha. And so, and so they're, they're really kind of open to, to a conversation. They have some background. They grew up maybe in a Christian home. There, there are three, right? So you've got five as an atheist, really far away. Four is an agnostic where they're, they're kind of like there's something out there. Three is someone who, hey, you know, I subscribe to their, yeah, their religions and they're knowledgeable. And then a two is someone who says, no, actually, I'm, I used to follow Jesus. But I got really, really hurt. And I have all these objections to Jesus because what someone did to me or what church did to me. And, you have to, I mean, and then a one is someone who, they're just not connected to Christ. They believe, they're like, I'm ready to be saved. <laughs> Lead me to Jesus. I've never prayed that prayer. Uh, yeah, I believe. I've never surrendered. That's easy. That's low-hanging fruit. So understand when you're ministering to people, it's a pro- some are at five. And can I tell you this? You're not going to get a five to become a one. When one conversation. Here's what you have to do, and write this down here. This is the key, and this is what we have to do. Help them take their next step. If a five is an atheist who hates Jesus and Christianity and they believe everything wrong in the world is Christianity and it's oppressive to this and this and that, and they, you're not trying to get them to be saved that day. You're just trying to get them to be open to the idea of even Christianity or God. Help them move the needle a little bit, right? If they're a four and they're agnostic, they believe something's out there, they're not really sure, and, you know, maybe your goal is to say, hey, look, you believe something's out there why don't you ask that something to reveal himself to you be that bold help them take the next step you see what i'm saying everybody has a next step to take and i think many of us instead of getting base hits to get somebody home what we want to do is hit a home run well i've got because some of you have family members who are really far from god really far and you're thinking well how do i get them to follow jesus you're not going to get them to follow jesus right now you got to help them be curious about jesus or have to have some conversations but you've got to help them take the next step in their faith journey. And it may be a baby step to it. When you meet someone, your goal is not to try to get them just to follow Jesus. It's to maybe you're opening them up just a little more to the idea of Christ. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we have to be committed to do. That's what Paul did. Acts 26, 28. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul was ready to hit a home run. Gospel message. Agrippa's like, nope. I'm not ready for that type of commitment yet. And even Paul ran into that, guys. And if Paul ran into it, the greatest evangelist that we've ever seen, guess what you and I are going to do? We're going to run into the same thing, too. And I want you to understand that your role and your goal is just to move that needle just a little bit in their life. To where they're now they're open for my dad, that was the story for my dad. My dad was someone who was atheist when I first got saved. Don't you speak about God or I'll beat your blank and blank, blank, blank in this house. That's what he told me. And over the years of me giving my life to Christ, I'm seeing a true transformation in my heart. Then he became kind of agnostic. He's like, well, yeah, there's got to be something out there. I'm sure there's something. And then as he moved a little, a little more forward... He would tell me, he would say, son, I went and played the golf tournament this weekend. He said, I won $1,500. He said, the Lord guided my hand. He was gambling, so the Lord didn't guide his hand, right? 
He said, I'm paying for your, for your college tuition. That's for ministry, school for ministry. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm paying for your college, part of your college tuition because of that. He, he, was, he was a three. But it took many years to move him from a five to a four to a three. It didn't happen overnight. And my uncle and I do believe that he told us that he was making a decision for Jesus when he was in ICU. Now, do I know? I don't know, guys. I'm not going to, you know, be that person to you. My dad's in heaven. I have no idea. I hope he is. I hope he greets me um, in heaven when I get there. But I can tell you this. The journey for him was step by step by step. It was a long, arduous journey. And some of you have people in your life that you're wondering why they're not followers of Jesus yet. And you're disappointed and you're discouraged. I'm here to encourage you. I want to help you because God has called us to share the gospel. And here are three things that you're going to have to do. And this is what I do in my life is this. Here's the first thing you're going to do is meet them where they are at in their journey. Just meet them where they're at. Don't ask them to come to where you're at. If you go and you say, well, the Bible says, and the Bible says, they're like, I don't believe the Bible. Yeah, but in Romans 3.10, Romans 3, I just believe well, I don't believe any of that. I think the Bible you know, lies. Don't get them to try to come to you. Get to them. Meet them. If they don't believe the Bible, then meet them where they're at. Talk about your testimony. Talk about, don't, don't try to get them to come, to come where you're at and adapt to you. You adapt to them. Ask questions. Find out why they believe that. Try to understand them. But many times, we want people to come to where we're at in our Christianized world and thinking instead of understanding why they even think that way. Why do they object to God? Why did they object to Jesus? What happened? What are their thought processes? Because if you can understand where they're at, then you can answer their questions and you can help them. The second thing that we have to do is this here. Write this down. Know that your story can't be debated. This is the key to Christianity. Your story of your transformation through Christ cannot be debated. And this has been, I have friends who are like, man, I don't believe this stuff. But what happened to you, Kevin, is unexplainable. I'll never forget I was in um, like Walgreens or something in my hometown after I got saved. It's probably five years later. Um, and there's a girl I went to high school with. And she said, Kevin Bordeaux, because I grew up in the South, you know. She says, I heard you got saved. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. I'm serving Jesus. She's like, you know, I heard that. And I said, man, she said, I don't believe this stuff. But if he got saved, that's the, it must be real. <laughs> that's the reputation I had, guys, seriously, in, in, in my hometown. The story couldn't be debated. My dad was an atheist, but he couldn't debate the story. He could debate the Red Sea. Was it the Reed Sea? Did the waters really recede? Was it a worldwide flood? Was it really seven days? I mean, what, what people would do was draw you to, was it, really, was it really a fish or a well? They'll draw you to crazy stuff. Well, who did Cain, when he left, with that mark on his head, who were the people he went and mated with? Were people already there? Were they there before? I mean, there's all types of questions that they will throw at you. Can I tell you something? I've been in it long enough now. Those questions aren't, the, if you answer them, they'll have more. That, that they come, they're using a smokescreen. What you do is say, hey, listen, I'm not a Bible scholar. I didn't live back then. I know what I believe about it. But here's the thing I want you to understand. I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Christ changed my life. He's given me joy. He's given me peace. He's given me purpose. And that's all that I know is that I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, 
and now I'm found. And I'm telling you, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, but man, I tell you, it's been the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life. When you say that to someone, you talk about your story, they can debate everything in the world. They can have all the right contradictions, and they really will. But they're like, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Man, yeah, so, wow. I have no idea. And then finally, here's what we have to do. Point them to Christ and his resurrection. That is what saves someone. You can talk to them. Like, listen, if a non-believer comes to you, and listen, yes, I believe it was seven days of creation. I believe there was a worldwide flood. I believe, I believe the whole Bible is real, infallible, the word of God. Right? I believe that. Inspired. I believe it, yeah. But if I have an agnostic or atheist debating me about the deluge, the great flood, and why do other texts have this, and they're, they're debating all this stuff, I don't want to get in that conversation. You know what I want to do? I want to point to Christ and his resurrection. Because it was an historical event, not a story. The eyewitnesses had evidence, and they, they saw. And in the court of law, you know what would overcome DNA evidence? Eyewitness evidence every time. And there was hundreds of eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. And that's what I want to point them to because someone is saved by believing in Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the lordship of Jesus, that he is God's only son. If they believe in that, the other stuff will eventually make sense because they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll understand it. When I first gave my life to Jesus, can I tell you a little secret? As I started reading the Old Testament, I wasn't sure if I believed some of it. I didn't know. I was like, oh, that's kind of strange. Right? It really happened? I had never, I, I didn't know. I, did, I didn't know. I had a hard time understanding or trying to wrap my mind around it. But you know why I'm here today preaching the gospel to you and preaching the word of God to you? Because what mattered most was the resurrection. And once I believed him in Christ and the Holy Spirit came to live in me, everything else began to make sense. Stop trying to make everything else make sense first. It's the resurrection. Paul said, I, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him, what? Crucified. Point them back to that. Point them to your story. Meet them where they're at. And can I tell you, don't give up, guys. Don't give up to the friend who walked away from her faith and who hates Christianity. Don't give up on that family member. Don't give up on that child. Continue to do your part. And if, at the end of the day, God makes it grow, right? You can't and I can't. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I ask this morning that you would strengthen us and help us to not give up in planting and watering, Father. Help us not to look at others who maybe see the increase. They, they see the person come to Christ and we think that we're less than. We think we're not really good at evangelism. Lord, help us just be good at caring for people and meeting them where they're at with our faith. Give us the courage to do that. Help us to pray fervently. Help us to believe with all of our hearts, God, that you are working in their lives. And God, I pray that this week you would help each person on their daily route with their co-workers, their family, their friends, their children, everybody, Lord, to keep their head on a swivel, to be able to share what people need and meet them where they're at. Thank you, God, that you met us where we were at with Jesus. You came to us to give us salvation, and we thank you for that. And today, if you're sitting in here and you do want to make that decision for Christ, you're like, yeah, and you know what? I am ready for a new life. I am ready for a change. I am ready for purpose. I am ready to be filled with God's Spirit, to live for Him. That's you today. In 
If you want to make that decision, whether you're watching online or here physically, I want you to pray this prayer after me. It's a confession of faith. I wish you'll be saved. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I can't save myself with good works. I need the Savior. Today I repent. I turn from that old life. I receive brand new life. Today I receive forgiveness of all my sins. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. Today I confess Jesus as my Lord. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a new beginning. In your name I pray. Amen.